0: Dear listeners, Sai Ram and greetings from Prashanthinilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on The Ramakatha Rasa Vahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 16th July, 2015. Have a listen, please.
1: Offering a humble pranam to Bhagavan's Lotus Feet. Dear listeners, we welcome you to this week's afternoon satsang. We are back again with the beautiful story of the Ramayana as written by our dear Lord the Ramakatha is the series we are going to continue now as always we begin by offering our most humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet and at the feet of Lord Hanuman who is believed to be present wherever the name of Rama is taken we begin by ruminating over the beautiful and nectrous name of Lord Sri Rama
2: Shri Raghavam The Sharatatma Sita Patin Raghukulan Mayaratna janubhavam arvindadalaya taksham ramam nishachara vina Shaka
3: dear listeners and welcome to afternoon satsang today where we shall travel back in time thousands of years to that point in the Treta Yuga where Lord Sri Rama with his brother Lakshmana and mother Sita are residing at Panchavati in the Dandakaranya forests. This is where we had reached in the previous fortnight and the story from here on is as interesting as the story so far. The Ramayana might have happened thousands of years ago, but the beauty of this epic, the beauty of this story, the beauty of this legend, the beauty of this history of God is that the lessons the ideals and the insights that it provides hold good for all times, for the present times and the future times to come. Little wonder that it is said, yavat girayaha saritascha mahitale tavat ramayani katha lokeshu pracharishyati which means that as long as the mountains and the rivers exist, the story of Ramayana will exist. Bhagwan in a discourse on the Ramayana had very lovingly said or rather given an interpretation to this, he said that mountains stand for men and rivers stand for women. In Sanskrit, actually the mountains are addressed in the masculine gender and the rivers in the feminine gender also. And so he said the inner significance of that poem is that as long as there are people, so long will the story of Ramayana exist. That I think sums up the relevance of Ramayana to the past, to the present and to the future. And it is indeed our privilege that the avatar of the age the compassionate Bhagwan Sri satyasai Baba, our dear Swami has given us this nectar story in his own perspective which is the first person account because when Swami writes about Rama, it is an autobiographical account. So let us remember this privilege that we have, the pleasure that we have and then proceed along with the story when the trio of Rama, Lakshmana and Sita are residing at Panchavati.
1: Talking of the Ramayana, I think we've made this mention many times, as you said, it is not a story which is just filled with drama and adventure. It's a story which we all can learn from. And uh, if you look at the approach towards a guru itself as given by Swami, Mm -hmm. I think something can be drawn out of it in the way we approach epics such as the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. You know, many times Swami would say that when you go to God, when you go to Guru, what comes first is faith, you know. Very often we have heard this from Swami, it's not experience that precedes faith, but it's faith that precedes experience. So in a sense, when you accept a person as divine, as a person who is going to give you the right guidance, you try to put in perspective the guidance which comes. Like when the master gives you a certain direction, you you know that this direction is definitely for my good and you try to figure out in what way is it good for me. Hmm. If you apply the same approach to the epics such as the Ramayana, Many, many times Swami has said, you know, that Ramayana has the secrets of the lessons of all the Vedas. You know, it, it is the essence of the Vedic knowledge. Which means that here in the Ramayana, we know that there is a treasure trove of lessons we can learn. So many times when you look at the story, you might feel that why did it happen this way? Why did it happen that way? You know, why couldn't have it been plotted differently? But when you approach it with that Shraddha, with that faith and with that strong belief that this is a perfect story which can give that perfect lesson, you try to look at the lessons which come from it and see more deeply into it. I think, and that is where we actually benefit from the Ramayana. And that is exactly where the Ramakatara went studied or when looked at in a very, very deep perspective, you can see that the way Swami is laid out, I think we made this mention much before also, we are into almost the first quarter of the second book mm-hmm. and still the second half is really not started. It only goes to show that how much Swami gave importance to that relationship within that family which was almost an ideal family, the household of the Shrata, isn't it?
3: Exactly. If you actually look at even the Valmiki Ramayana from the number of verses, it appears as if even in the Valmiki Ramayana, The part where we are, that is before the kidnapping of Mother Sita, that part is actually emphasized a lot. The killing of the demons and all that is not emphasized so much even in the Valmiki Ramayana. It so happens that when a devotee, we had mentioned this earlier that the Valmiki Ramayana is the way a man sees a man. A man sees a perfect man. Valmiki the way he saw Rama. And we say that Tulsi, Kamban Ramayana are the way a devotee looks at the Lord. So when a devotee looks at the Lord, those feelings of love and affection towards the Lord often makes the devotee go into raptures and into poetry. And that is why when a devotee writes about the Lord, we see an elaborate description and a lot of details about how the Lord vanquished because the devotee revels in the glories of the Lord. Again, when the Lord describes the stories of the Lord, that is what is Ramkatarasavaini, Swami writing about Rama, it is back to what God would like man to follow and we rarely see even Swami speaking highly of Himself. It is those few discourses which we treasure where Swami reveals who He is, what He is and we treasure that. We treasure it because in every other discourse, Swami never shows or says who He is. So therefore, when Swami has given so much of importance to the initial part, it definitely shows that those are the areas where we have to concentrate. The other thing is, even the remaining parts when Swami explains the way Swami explains if you see He doesn't do it in the standard way as it's present in Valmiki Ramayana or in the Tulsi Ramayana. He does it in His own unique manner and we will start seeing more of such unique interpretations from this point on. We saw one in the way Swami salvages Kaikeyi. In fact Swami salvaging Kaikeyi is not part of the Ramkatha It was borrowed from Swami's discourses delivered later on. But from now on there are points which are present in the Ramkatha Sawahini itself which show a twist in the tale. And to begin that, we start at that point in time when Sita and Lakshmana are having a time of their life, staying in the nearness and dearness of the Supreme Avatar, Lord Sri Ram. And Rama is spending the whole day in discoursing Sita and Lakshmana, in interacting with them, spending time with them. It's beautiful. If you just picture yourself, just two of us with Swami, just imagine both of us sitting with Swami day in and day out in a location where nobody is there, Swami is all for us. What beautiful times it will be. Those were the beautiful times that Lakshmana and Sita were enjoying. And they were in supreme bliss, naturally. And Lakshmana continued to do his duty of being a guard. You know, when you say being a guard, taking care of Rama and Sita, it almost makes one smile. I am reminded of how for a few years some of us got the opportunity of guarding Swami's residence, Trai Brindavan, at night, where we would get the opportunity to sleep close to the residence. And the reason given was, we would take turns to keep awake, to ensure that, you know, uh, I don't know what to ensure what, but it was in the name of security that we were doing this. But all of us were totally convinced that in the name of security, we are getting this opportunity to be near to our Lord. Of course, Swami says that dearness matters more than nearness. But... We can't deny the fact that somehow nearness can also lead to dearness, can lead to us relishing and experiencing the Lord in His full glory and therefore developing a dearness to Him. And in the same manner, if we extrapolate, we realize that though Lakshmana was there on duty, in fact, he had given up his sleep. We narrated how for 14 years, he told Nidra Devi, the goddess of sleep that don't come near me, don't embrace me, I can't afford to sleep and he was doing his duty. The reality, as we read the Ramkatha Rasavini, we realize that it was a great opportunity and a blessing showered on Lakshmana to enjoy the physical proximity of the avatar of that age.
1: Very true. And the other thing which we actually spoke about the last time when we were doing the Ramakatha Aafnun Satsang was the dialogue which happens between Lakshmana and Rama, where Rama kind of explains some of the very subtle truths using Lakshmana as an alibi. Through Lakshmana, he gives to the world some of the wisdom. I think this again is a pattern which you will see in many, many uh, occasions in the life of an avatar. For instance, what happens even with Krishna and Arjuna. You know, here was somebody who had who is, you know, as Swami would very beautifully say, here is Narottama. Arjuna was supposed to be a Narottama, one who is best among the men. And Krishna was Purushottama, you know, one who is the ultimate among all living beings. And when these two come together, what you get is Gita. So, Swami would very often say that, here I am, I am the giver. Swami would many times, you know, say that even in the discourse, I am ever ready. But when you come with that preparedness of a sadhaka, which is required when you come to me, you can draw from me what is required, just like how the mother cow gives out the milk. And that's precisely what Lakshmana was doing, you know, more and as beautifully as you said, it was not that he was contributing something, but that preparedness which he had through this seva, through this ability to give up sleep. Made him ready to receive that wisdom from Rama and pass it on to the world. Of course, the later part of it is how this was itself a part of the play in uh, dealing with the rest of the uh, Rakshasas whom Rama comes to do. Well, that's later part of the story, but the beginning of that end, you know, begins here in a sense.
3: When you say that, you know, Lakshmana was chosen in that sense because he was having the readiness and all what Rama conferred onto Lakshmana, we are enjoying it today. This is a common thing, as you said, in all avatars, even, you know, in the Swami's avatar. Why is it that we want to listen to other people's experiences? Because though an experience is very personal, though the experience is always one-to-one, as Swami says. Swami says, there are absolutely no intermediaries between the devotee and the Lord. In fact, if anyone tries to be an intermediary, pluck them and chuck them out, because they are not meant to be. So, though the experiences are direct one-to-one, we still clamor after listening to others' experiences because though they were between that Lord and that devotee, listening to that experience itself, we derive inspiration, we derive insights. So in that sense, it is almost like all the food that is fed to the body is fed to the mouth. But though the mouth is fed, the whole body gets nourished. And therefore, though each devotee has an experience with the Lord, each of those experiences help in nourishing humanity as a whole
1: just to make a mention is generally when when you go into neuroscience they see why it is bad for children to see violent movies or play violent games. Mm -hmm. You know, when they study that, they find that there is an inherent quality in the human beings which is more pronounced than in the other living organisms, which is what we call empathy. But neurologically, there are many ways of looking at it. They say mirror neurons, where you're able to, to an extent, simulate what is happening with what you're seeing. Suppose I'm seeing a movie. The reason why we invariably get into one of the characters and we live that movie for those three hours, two hours, one and a half hours, whatever is the duration, is because without our knowledge, you get into the character and you simulate whatever is happening in that person to that person to your own self in your mind and that is why when Swami says Satsangam and when you go to a paraanam, you listen to the Ramayana you listen to the Mahabharata without your knowledge you are getting into one of those characters and you are experiencing the joy it might be as we said synthesized happiness we spoke so much about it in the past couple of weeks but really it does work because so much of what we go through in life actually happens only in our head you know the pain most of the time is only in our head the fear is most of the time in our head then Security, It might not be really around us. That is why so much of simulation happens in the head. And dear listeners, that is why it is so very beautiful to listen to the Ramayana and such epics again and again. And it is our joy to go on speaking about it over and over again.
3: And so Lakshmana is now one day standing outside the hermitage doing his duty as a guard and is keeping watch. And as he is walking, he suddenly espies a little lime sapling. He sees that that sapling is growing under the shade of a giant tree and it is not receiving its share of sunlight. So his heart melts for this little plant, he decides that let me transplant this sapling into some other place which receives sufficient sunlight. So he is sitting and he is gently digging out this sapling. As he is doing this, one figure is approaching the hut where they are staying in Panchavati and it is a lady, a Rakshasi, a Rakshasi meaning a demoness by the name Shurpanaka. Now Shurpanaka comes close and the moment she sees Lakshmana, it is love at first sight. Actually. You know, it is more like lust at first sight because what they say is love at first sight even scientifically has been explained as nothing but a kicking in of hormones and some uh, neurological sensations. So love at first sight is not actually the fact, the truth, because love is something much deeper. Love comes with understanding. Love comes with becoming like a single soul in two bodies. But what happens instantaneously? is what is lust. So, most of the love at first sight is nothing but lust at first sight. And that is what happens to Shurpanaka. And in that single instant she decides that whoever this being might be, I want to marry him. And with that objective, she approaches Lakshmana. Before we go ahead with the story, A mention should be made here that when the term Rakshasa or Rakshasi is used, we often picture very ugly looking person, a huge, uh, you know, with all uh, body parts that are not proportional and basically a mass of ugliness. This is what we picture. But as we have seen, all these epics, most of the descriptions are metaphorical. It is said that a person's beauty is what lies within, not prettiness. Because prettiness will wither away. Beauty is defined as something that is permanent, that is forever, that is ageless. And therefore, we can't equate beauty with prettiness. If we see the story of Kupja, Kubja in uh, the Bhagavatam. Lord Krishna says to Kubja that she is a beautiful woman and she feels that Lord Krishna is mocking her because she is a hunchback, her body is bent and she is very old. That is when Krishna says that this is a wrong concept of beauty. Beauty is something within. The same thing is highlighted even by Ashtavakra. Ashtavakra, the name itself means bent at 8 points. His body was bent in 8 points and he was a scholar par excellence when he entered the king's court and everyone laughed at him. He told the king that I thought I have come to a congregation of scholars, but I see that you have a congregation of cobblers because they are judging based on my skin. It's only a cobbler who judges based on skin, that is leather. So, beauty is something within and by portraying Rakshasas and Rakshasis as ugly, it doesn't mean that these People were ugly physically. It just is a reflection of their character and therefore metaphorically they are presented. For example, Valmiki presents, describes Shurpanaka as Mm pot-bellied. You know, but if we see later on, even Swami describes, we will be listening to that discourse clip there. Swami says that what happened to Shurpanaka destroyed her beauty and disfigured her. You can't disfigure an ugly object. You can't destroy the beauty of an ugly object, which means Shurpanaka was beautiful in the physical sense. But when they are described as demons, demonesses, it's a reflection of their inner being. So, therefore, a person might be pretty or handsome, but might be ugly because of what is within. So, when Valmiki describes Shurpanaka as pot-bellied, a big stomach, it is supposed to indicate... Unsatiable desires. So many desires that they're never fulfilled. We had also discussed this in one satsang about pretas. Right how you can never get satiated. So that is the significance of a pot belly and Valmiki describes her as having oversized breasts. That is supposed to indicate a heart that is swelling with wickedness and lust. Again, she is said to have a grating voice, an irritating sound which means she is very harsh and cruel on anybody who sees her and listens to her. So, just want to make a point here that though Rakshasa and Rakshasi are described in very ugly manner that ugliness is not their physical beauty but a reflection of the inner being.
1: Absolutely. I think because why this point is important to be made is because when she approaches Lakshmana eventually she changes her form to appear beautiful. So which means it wasn't the ability to look the way they chose to look. So there isn't much in the appearance really, because as they all seem to have mastered the art of appearing, you know, in a way which is more pleasant and more acceptable to the others. But it is the ugliness inside. I'm reminded of uh, an incident which happened I think many years ago. Swami had called for an interview, a batch of students from one of the colleges run by Swami's uh, devotees. It was actually a college run according to Swami's value education. So Swami had called this group of girls for an interview. Mm -hmm. And some of them were very new. For the first time, they were coming for Swami's russian and they landed up in the interview room. So after the initial few you know, exchanges, Swami looked at them and said, anybody has any questions, you can ask me. And it seems one of those young girls there asked Swami, what should I do to get a husband like Rama? Okay. <laughs> and that was a question she asked and needless to say the others were a little embarrassed <laughs> because that's not the question you ask in an interview that the first time you're walking into the interview room. But this girl was, you know, had the boldness which comes out of innocence. So she asked this question and Swami very, very beautifully gave her a wonderful answer. He said, if you have a character like Sita, you'll get a husband like Rama. And he said, if you have a character like Shurpanaka, then you'll get a husband like Ravana.
3: Ravana was her brother. brother but ha. Swami
1: was telling that, you know, the, oh, okay. the, the beauty and the cruelness in the character, that 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 is what draws to you what comes to you in life. I mean, uh, maybe just a side point that that girl was really having some issues at home, where you know she was a something like a a problem child at home. And that one comment of Swami changed the whole approach. She realized that you know how it is that you draw goodness to you through your inner goodness and not through your beauty. And that's really what Swami you know kind of hinting at here when the description of Rakshasas and Rakshis is given. Because much in other places, if you see the description of Ravana, which is given, is really something which anybody would look at and have a lot of awe for, and you know say that. That, wow, that's like that's a, a mighty discipline. bodybuilder. Yes, it's, you know, he's supposed to be tall. He's supposed to be much taller than Rama himself. And of course, even in the side of talent and art, he's supposed to be a master of all that. But character is something much, much more subtler than all this. All that which can be seen and can be observed from outside. And that's what is the uh, essence of the description of Surpanaka as given by Valmiki also.
3: You know, looking in the same angle, when you say that Shurpanaka transformed herself from a Rakshasi to a beautiful damsel as she approached Lakshmana, again if we see it in this angle as we discussed, we realize that it is not about changing your physical form. It is about changing your nature. When we become hypocrites, we are all being like Shurpanaki. You know, we have irritation in the heart, we have wickedness, we have cruel intentions, but we mask it. In Hindi, there is a saying that goes as, uh Mume Ram Ram Chura, which means in your mouth you take the Lord's name, but in your hand you have a dagger which you are ready to stab in Sanskrit there is a quote which says that you are uh, feeding someone honey picking up the honey from the tip of your sword. Mm -hmm. While that honey may please the tongue any time it may cut the tongue which it is feeding. So this I feel the description of Shurpanaka transforming herself into a beautiful damsel is symbolic of hypocrisy that we do. When we try to camouflage and mask all the ugliness and market ourselves as noble by appearing beautiful, by appearing pretty. That is why beauty is not skin deep, it goes beyond. Beauty is not just how we appear. And so, Shurpanaka approaches Lakshmana and she says, poor you, sir? My heart has been captivated by you. You have captured my heart in an instant. Would you consent to making me yours? I would like to be owned by you. I want to become yours. And Lakshmana just smiles. He doesn't even look up at her. He tells Shurpanaka that, you see, my lady, I am actually a slave. I am a slave to the master who lives there. And if you marry a slave, you too shall become a slave. I don't think a person like you should become a slave. So why do you want to ask me? Why don't you approach the master and ask the master himself? And this is what Lakshmana says and stalls her. And it is exactly at this point in time, hearing this conversation, Rama and Sita just walk out of the hut. And Shurpanaka, Swami says that the moment she looks at Rama, she totally forgets Lakshmana. You know, this actually shows that it is not love at first sight. you know. (laughs) She stands bewitched. She is mesmerized at the masculinity, at the handsome face, at the impressive figure of Lord Sri Rama. She just forgets totally about Lakshmana and in fact maybe she feels even grateful that he didn't accept my proposal because why should I go for second best when the best stands in front of me. That is how it happens and she decides to go towards Rama.
1: And another point which Swami makes here is that when she looks at Rama and when she looks at Lakshmana and gets attracted, Swami says that, you know, who will not be attracted? Because this is the glow which comes out of dharmic life. Swami says that Lakshmana has lived such a pure life that that glow is shown on his face. And Rama, of course, is the purest one. But it is that purity that she is getting attracted to. This again is a very beautiful point. But because her nature is very physical, her nature is very, very superficial, She is not able to really see what is the thing which is attracting her. And we will come to know that, you know, attraction to whatever it is, you're getting attracted to God. You know, you might get attracted to God for the wrong reasons, for the wrong things you're seeing. Like we've seen so many people coming to Swami, being attracted by what Swami was able to do or what Swami was able to achieve. But even that attraction could be beneficial for you. But, you know, here is Surya she's looking at Lakshmana and she says that, I've never seen somebody as handsome as this. She looks at Rama and says, I've never seen any form of beauty like this. You know, this is the best form of masculine beauty I've ever seen. But she doesn't know the source of that beauty, the source of that glow. So she is getting attracted to the external beauty, but not the source of that beauty.
3: That's a very valid and powerful point that Swami makes. And uh, very nicely you have picked and highlighted that prem. Because, you know, if we look at the Bollywood movies, our exposure a little more to the Bollywood movies, and therefore I'm quoting the movies made in India. There are some of these uh, movies where Violence against women happens, Mm -hmm. where a woman gets assaulted. Now, if we look at most of the movies, I'm not saying all, but most of these movies, our blood boils in righteous anger because the woman being assaulted is actually a very noble woman, a very good woman. And in that same movie, Of course, everything is just acting. But in that same movie, there are other women characters, women roles, which are not as good as this lady who has suffered, who are possibly of a lower character. Nothing seems to happen to them. But the women who are the noblest, mostly the heroines of the movie, who are having noble virtues, they are the ones who get assaulted. So, what I'm trying to say is, it struck me now that just like Shurpanaka got attracted, though she didn't realize that the source of that beauty is the virtue, even in movies when you look at that, you realize that possibly the movie director also never thought about that. But he somehow recognized this truth that the attraction happens towards people who are noble, who have got a righteous character. Because all these kind of wrong things, villains, assaulting women happen to women who are noble. So it is not their facial beauty, but it is a beauty of character that shines through. No wonder Swami says that end of education must be character and beauty is not skin deep, beauty is something very deep within and it doesn't age, it doesn't stale, it doesn't go away because character is forever. And as you were highlighting what Swami has said in the Ramakatarasavainya, I just got thrilled thinking that even unconsciously, this is what is portrayed in the movies, that a person who is noble, and full of character, appears more beautiful in the eyes of the world
1: very true I think and that's clearly in every way as you said even the description of the rakshasas; these are very very subtle descriptions which are given in the epics you know suppose if, if Ramayana has to be redone now I mean when we see the serials of the Ramayana or serials of Namah I think they pick good looking people even for the negative roles right you don't have <laughs> ugly looking people in the negative roles because it's true you're, you're actually being taught to see deep within it's not about the looks it's not about the way you carry yourself and That is why even in the making of these characters, in these epics, it is given that glorious characters fall. Like Ravana for that matter or even Shurpanaka for that matter. They are all, all said and none have certain abilities within themselves but misusing that and that is where the difference between the good and the bad come because the scene which you are going to witness now if you put somebody else in the place of Rama and Lakshana I think the way they kind of made fun of Shurpanaka if you were to put it as this was let's say uh, you know Maricha and Subha who were doing it then Tusita. right this would have been a negative scene where there are two men who are mocking at a woman but now you are seeing that it is Rama and Lakshmana who are having actually a little bit of fun at the cost of Shurpanaka because Shurpanaka as you said at the point she comes running to Rama now because Lakshmana has said that he is my master if he accepts you I become your slave as I am a slave to my uh, brother Rama.
3: Before we play the clip maybe a brief history of Shurpanaka. It is described that Shurpanaka was born as Meenakshi and in Sanskrit Meenakshi means one with the eyes of a fish It is supposed to be a description of beauty actually or prettiness. So she was born very beautiful. She was very beautiful in the physical sense. And it is said that her own brother Ravana kills her own husband. Some say that it was accidental. There are many, many versions. Some say it was purposeful, but whatever. And Shurpanakha is very, very angry on her brother. That is why she leaves the kingdom of Lanka, which is... According to the Ramayana, the present day country of Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. she leaves that area and comes over to the Dandaka forest, which is the current day Madhya Pradesh region in India, where all the other Rakshasas and Rakshasis are. And she decides to stay there. And uh, Ravana feels very repentant for this and he's trying to win his sister back. But in her heart, she has never forgiven her brother for killing her husband. So all said and done, she's not ready to forgive Ravana. As a kind of consolation or trying to patch up with his sister, it is said that Ravana gifts her a part of the forest of the Dandaka forest, Dandakaranya. This forest totally belongs to you. Any creature that lives there is yours. Any tree that is there is yours. And therefore, she assumes that Rama and Lakshmana too belong to me. And therefore, it's my right to own them. This is the feeling that she has. And as we shall see the episode unfold, we will realize that when it comes to God, your wealth, your riches, your influence, your power nothing can win God because you can win God only through your love and heart and it's a one-to-one relationship with God. And so therefore, you might be the most powerful person in the world, the most influential, the most wealthy, but there is no guarantee you will get God because God sees wealth of another form, which is the wealth of the heart. So with this background, I think we can listen to Swami narrating This episode, in this discourse clip, this discourse was delivered during the summer course in 1996. If I am not mistaken, it is the 24th of May 1996. So, a clip from that discourse, dear listeners, we will hear to that and then continue the discussion after that.
4: She went straight where Rama was. Rama also has put the same question, who are you? She said, Why are you concerned about me? Let me know who you are. I'm the son of Emperor Dasaradhar. And he went on telling what all that had happened. She didn't pay heed to all these words. Finally, she started addressing to her own son. <laughs> I am the sister of Ravana, the great warrior. I am the sister of Kumbhakarna and Vibhishana. I am the sister of Karadushana. She started introducing herself and said, My name is Surpanaka. Then why have you come here? She had no hesitation whatsoever. She told directly, come here to marry you. Ramulaku, I have come here to marry you. It was for the first time such funny things happened in the history of Rama. Lakshmana came close. Both of them were smiling. How to answer her question? Rama thought over for some time and wanted to make fun of her. You are beautiful. You don't find an exact person that suits Woke you. Woke. Even if there is one, well I can't marry you anymore. You are the sister of a mighty king. I don't want to have any stepsisters. I have wives. If you marry me, you will have all the conflict fighting there. There is a Lakshmana there. His wife has not followed him. He started making fun of this way, tidak you marry him. And listening to these words, Surpanaka approached Lakshmana. Lakshmana, are you ready to marry me? He said, yes, I am ready, but I don't want you to suffer. What is that? I am the servant of Sri Rama. If you marry me, you will also be a servant. You belong to a very big family. You are the sister of Ramanasura. Such a great lady. She can't be merely a servant. Better, Better you marry the master himself, Sridhama. Both of them started making fun of her like this. Though thirteen years passed, such a joke never took place. Sita was listening to this <laughs> conversation. She was very much surprised. Will any woman ask like that directly, Will you marry me? <laughs> the very appearance is that of a demon. She just remained silent. <laughs> Surpanaka came to Rama. You said, You said that you, there should not be any infighting because Rama of Rama. If you are ready, I will kill Lakshmana Sita in a moment. We can have a happy time in the forest. Sita is an obstacle here. She is ready to swallow Sita. She jumped. Then Sita withdrew. Rama said, Why are you afraid of all these small animals when the lion is by your side? Rama signaled. The heart of Rama is known only to Lakshmana, and else. He looked up. What is this? Anak as he looked up, it means the sound that originates out of the The ears have power of audition. Lakshmana has cut the ears. Next nose. He has cut the nose also.
3: Well, Swami describes that episode And even as Swami describes, we realize more and more that it was not love for Shurpanaka. It was as if she is choosing between two cars or two dishes in a hotel. She didn't mind shifting to Rama, shifting to Lakshmana. And I think it was in order to show her that what you have in a feeling is not true love. It's only through love that you can win the Lord, not in any other manner, that they kept shuttling her between Rama and Lakshmana. And she was ready to change and another thing that struck me was swami says that in the 13 years they never had a joke like this <laughs> which shows that when we spent so many afternoon satsangs before rama lakshmana and sita entered the forest Within just one afternoon satsang, we have finished 13 years in the forest because that is what has happened when they have reached Panchavati. We had already described as to how Panchavati is near Nasik in Maharashtra while Chitrakuta is somewhere in Uttar Pradesh. It is 400 to 500 kilometers apart. So there is absolutely not much emphasis laid on the journey that Rama passes through and kills so many demons in the process which we are not aware of. And I don't think, as I said, even Valmiki lays emphasis on this. So that also becomes evident as we listen to this clip that 13 years have passed and, uh, you know, Rama returns to your Ayodhya after 14 years. So all the action that is about to take place happens within the next one year now.
1: And to think of it, that this was the very important task which Rama came to do. I think this is what is getting redefined and when we look at Ramayana again and again. I think even when he spoke about Swami, when we asked this question of, why an avatar comes, I think invariably we give more importance to that, you know, Dushta... Sikshana. sikshana. you know.
3: Dushta Sikshana, Sishta rakshana, Sishta rakshana.
1: Because actually we give more importance to the correction of the evil, but when we even see it chronologically, it all happens so quickly and so swiftly. And this episode is more or less marks that beginning of the end, in a sense, because Shurpanaka now is very, very angered by this act. But the fact is, how can a woman stand there and allow such a thing to happen to her? Even, uh, as Swami would very often say that even an ant which bites your leg, your whole body reacts to it. But here is, I mean, here is a man catching her and chopping off her nose in ears. But she has stood there and let it happen to her and that is revealed much later. But the first thing what she does is she runs to her brothers, as Swami said, Kara and Dushana.
3: Before we go to that part, Prem, I think a little more emphasis on the kind of connection that exists between the two brothers, that is between Rama and Lakshmana. It is so beautiful and in the Ramkatha, Samaini Swami describes of course, in the discourse, Swami seemed to have uh, speeded through that. But in the Ramkatha Samhaini, Swami so beautifully describes how Rama thinks that where a knife can work, you need not use a spear or you need not use a sickle. And therefore, there is minimal movement from Rama's side. Rama raises his hand and four fingers. The four fingers, naturally on a raised palm, point to the sky. Because you see, we had described the Paranashala episode where Rama tells Lakshmana, you build a hut. And Lakshmana is in tears saying that, Rama, what do you mean you build a hut where you want? Because I have no will of my own. I don't do anything which is not your will. Your wish, your desire is my command. So, till you have a wish or a desire, I have no command. I don't do anything. And that is the reason that though Shurpanaka charged towards Sita. You know, this is another point here. Shurpanaka charges trying to kill Sita because she doesn't want the competition. And that itself shows that hypocrisy coming out. You can camouflage your evilness, your cruelty for some time as nobility and sweetness, but you can't do it forever because unless you are genuinely good and loving within, you can't express love. So it will naturally come out and your cruelty, anger and irritation gets expressed. That's what happened. If you read Valmiki Ramayana, it shows that at this point in time, she transforms back into the Rakshasi. She gives up her form as a beautiful damsel and becomes a Rakshasi. Again, it's metaphorical to show that, charade she was performing of being a courteous and sweet woman is gone and her true character stands revealed as a cruel, greedy, unsatiated lady. So anyway, when this is happening, Lakshmana is supposed to be the bodyguard. He doesn't do anything because he's awaiting the command from Rama. And how does the command come? Rama points four fingers to the skies and Lakshmana in an instant jumps with his sword and chops off the nose and ears of Shurpanaka. And Swami explains That when four fingers are raised, four, four symbolizes the Vedas. The Vedas are also called Shrutis. Shruti also means that which is heard and the ears are the organs through which you hear. So Lakshmana gets his first signal that you are supposed to do something to her ears. And ears hear sound which is Shabda and the element that is supposed to represent Shabda is Akasha and Akasha is loosely translated as the skies which is above. That is where Rama's fingers were pointing. Rama's fingers were pointing up towards the skies. That is where the heavens are and heavens in Sanskrit are called Naka. Now this term Naka also means nose in Sanskrit and therefore Lakshmana gets his signal that I have to chop the nose and that is why in an instant Lakshmana springs up and chops off the ears and knows of Shurpanaka. It's simply amazing if you think of it, Prem, that just a small signal from Rama was enough to trigger Lakshmana. It reminded me of many instances where Swami would just indicate and the people concerned would know what has to be done. In fact, I received a mail asking, Mm -hmm. how is it that people knew what Swami wanted? Is it that Swami has told them beforehand? Or what is it? What would happen? How would they have an understanding without Swami even communicating? And they asked out 2-3 examples of Swami making a turn over here, Swami going there. That is when, you know, I wrote back a mail telling that, you know, at this point in time, you see, Swami would indicate with his finger. And the different things that we have seen and they were so amazed. That how would somebody observe this finger? You know, when Swami, after lady side darshan, went in the wheelchair... Swami suddenly decides not to go to the gent side. To any onlooker, it would appear as if the person pushing the wheelchair just decided that today I am not in a mood to go to the gent side. (laughs) But they wouldn't realize that there was a very silent signaling process going on, which the people concerned would be aware. Now, this takes signaling to entirely a new dimension and that is why... It is said that Swami used to often describe Lakshmana as the one with the sukshma buddhi. One with such subtle intelligence and such alertness that he would not only be able to read the little little signs that Rama would make, he had in fact gone to the level of being able to read the thoughts in Rama's mind even as they arise.
1: This actually a very important point when you look at it from the relationship between a devotee and the Lord. Hmm. Because many times when you talk of this concept of love itself, in the first stage of when you say that a devotee loves the Lord, the first stage is when at every point you ask yourself you know, what is it that the Lord wants? What is it that the Lord wants? But even in that, there is this interpretation of how I see what the Lord's need is. You know, many times when you would see that even in Swami's presence, when people would give Swami things which Probably Swami did not need. You know, the other way also it happened. You know, one way Swami's indications were read and on the other occasion, you know, Swami's indications were misread too. Hmm. The intention in both places were the same. You know, both places people are looking at Swami and seeing what Swami needs now. What would Swami want now? What Swami would ask for now? I think at some point that devotion becomes so pure that when the observer himself vanishes, when you're at a state of absolute readiness and purity to see and pick exactly what, you know, the Lord is indicating, I mean, imagine at the end of it if Lakshmana had actually misread the <laughs> simple. <laughs> you know, many times we would talk of it as a joke imagine at the end of it, Rama asks why did you do what oh, you what do? did you do that for? you know, I just showed my four fingers and that's not what I meant but
3: I wanted you to chop off four of her fingers <laughs> right, <laughs> something <laughs> like
1: that but you know, that's the beauty because Lakshmana was I think observing removing himself completely and that is why that episode Swami puts before this where he says, you know why do you have to make me choose? I don't have a choice of my own because he is somebody who has removed 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 his likes, dislikes, his choices the way he wants. When he has removed that completely, I think this is something which is emphasized in different, different episodes and different, different characters. That's what happens with Bharata. You know, Bharata was all the time thinking that he was pushing his love forward by trying to make Rama, you know, come and exceed the throne. That beautiful discussion between what is the dharma of a devotee where you're supposed to do what the Lord wants. At every stage, this is kind of brought in different, different ways where the devotee is able to completely give up his likes and dislikes. The same thing will repeat when Vibhishana comes into the picture. Same thing repeats when Sugriva and Anuman comes into the picture. In different levels, in different situations, this is brought again. I think that is why even though that Ramayana does not look as much a text about Bhagavatam as Bhagavatam is, You know, Bhagavatam, you always see that overflowing love and devotion. You have the Gopikas, you have the stories of the other, you know, Prahalada, Dhruva and all these people where devotion is portrayed as it is. I think in Ramayana, it's very, very subtle. It's very, very subtle because... Rama is not accepted universally as as the Lord, you know, because that is the the secret of the whole game. Because Rama has to live his life as a normal human being. But still, the lessons of devotion are brought out in a very, very subtle and beautiful way within the relationships like brothers and husband and wife and all that. That's the beauty of this episode too in that.
3: And another, you know, I was just happening to read in the Brahma Vaivarta Purana. Okay. It is mentioned that Shurpanaka later, you know, with his nose chopped and so many things again happen. Uh, later on, we'll see towards the end, Shurpanaka is still alive actually. When Rama crowns Vibhishana as the emperor of Lanka, okay. she's still there. And after that, she goes to the sacred lake, pushkara in present day Rajasthan. And she prays to Brahma because she has still not forgotten Rama. She's so much, so she prays to Lord Brahma, the creator that, you know, I want to be worthy of the Lord's love. Now she realizes and you know this you can see this change of heart. And therefore, when this is done, it is said that in her next birth she is born as Kubja. Kubja the hunchback that we spoke about, you know, some time back. Right. She is reborn. It is said that kubja is nothing but Shurpanaka reborn and what she did not get in the previous birth, that is Rama appreciating her beauty, she gets because Krishna calls her beautiful. So much so that you see in the first case when she goes to the Lord she's arrogant. She tells to Rama that, you know, she's almost like I'm the most beautiful woman here and what is this leaving me or going behind Sita? <laughs> and you know, Rama apparently shows what he thinks of her beauty because he gets her ears and nose chopped. In the second case, you know, she's saying that I'm in a most ugly person. And Krishna comes and tells you are a very beautiful person. You know, her, her desire to get that appreciation from the Lord that she is beautiful, to get an acknowledgement of her beauty, that desire is fulfilled. This is of course not there in the Rasavahini. But when we see this, we realize why it is so important that we have to think what we seek, think about what we desire. Because none of these, as we had spoken in one other satsang, all these desires are like pebbles thrown in the Manas Sarovar, thrown in a very placid lake they create ripples. Ripples that traverse across the length and breadth of the lake. So too, all these desires have their after effects and reactions. Possibly not in this birth, but in future births also. Therefore, we should be very careful as to what we desire. That's why Swami in one discourse says, Adugaku E O Manasa. Oh mind, don't ask at all, just shut up. Don't ask at all because whatever you need, the Lord knows, the Lord will provide to you unasked. Better don't ask and ask for something stupid. So it was lucky here that Shurpanaka sought the Lord because she got the Lord in her next birth. But, you know, you can never say, you can never say because the mind, the senses, they are like horses without reins, they will drag you in any direction. We may end up desiring for things that we may later repent for. That is why it is very important to see what we desire and we should desire only God because God has no negatives. And whatever we do, we should desire God. In fact, that is how Swami says we should evaluate our life. Any desire that takes us towards God is good. Any desire that takes us away from God is bad. And therefore, we should make an effort to only cultivate good desires.
1: And the contrast between these two characters are really beautiful, actually. You know, Shurpanaka and. Uh Kubja, because in Shurpanaka's case, as you said, you know, she tries to pretend as though she is beautiful. Not only her internal ugliness is revealed, but it is even further made ugly by no, you know, physically her nose and ears being cut. But in the case of Kubja, she is actually, uh, as you said, a hunchback. The scene is very beautiful. She is actually one of those maids of Kamshas palace, who goes around the garden collecting fragrant flowers and makes she makes sense out of it uh, for her master. And that's when Balrama and R- Krishna actually come into that garden. They see this lady, hunchback lady who is picking flowers. And Krishna goes and asks her, Oh Sundari, what is your name? And she gets very offended. Sundari meaning beautiful one. The one who is very beautiful. And she gets very offended. She looks at Krishna and the same reaction. She looks at Krishna and she says, I've never seen anything as as so charming. captivating and charming as this. As I've never seen a person so beautiful. And uh, when Krishna Krishna says that, oh Sundari, she gets offended. She says, just because you are look good looking, why mm-hmm. are you mocking at me? And then Krishna says, no, I am referring to what I am seeing. I am seeing the beauty within and that's why I am calling you Sundari. And the beautiful episode that follows is he catches hold of her chin and he straightens her back. Like, you know, how you would catch a, in the chin of a little child. Krishna catches her and lifts her and straightens her body and transforms her into a beautiful woman. Physically beautiful. Physically beautiful woman. And it's, it's so beautiful, you know, when there is when you have evil inside, you, when you have ugliness inside and you pretend to be beautiful, what is inside is brought out. And here when there is true beauty inside and when there is humility, which you know in a sense what is portrayed, the Lord comes and brings out the beauty from within and makes it manifest and appear outside.
3: Absolutely. In one case, if we see it in the physical sense, the Lord disfigures the one who is ugly within. And here the Lord beautifies the one who is beautiful within. And again it highlights the same truth, which is in the Lord's eyes, beauty is not about how you look, how much money you have, how much power you possess. Beauty is all about character. That is the only thing that the Lord looks out for. Continuing with the story, Shurpanaka is very upset and you know in the discourse clip, Swami mentions about several of her brothers. Two of her brothers who are closest at that point in time are Kara and Dushana. And they are also Rakshasas. And they have a horde of 14,000 men at their command. And she goes wailing to them. And she tells them, What kind of brothers are you? Are you men? How can you tolerate such gross injustice being done to your sister? And and you know, she starts wailing. And they are just angered now. See, this is one thing that happened. They, it is said that don't take a decision in anger. Because it will invariably be a wrong decision. See, now here, because they are angered at whoever has done this, they are not ready to listen or they are not ready to investigate into what has actually happened, who is at fault. They just tell Shurpanaka that you just name who that person is. Whoever has done this to you will become extinct. We are going to exterminate that person or those people, whoever it is. And she is very happy. This is exactly the reaction that she was looking out for. And so... She describes, she says that these princes, they have come, they look so magnificent, but as magnificent as they look, I think that much cruel they are because this is what they have done to me. And I know their hut is somewhere in this region, it is over here, she points out. And all the 14,000 demons, Rakshasas, they are so angry, they are upset. And they start charging towards this hut with drum roll and beat and everything. That is when you know Rama tells, now again this highlights what we had said before about Lakshmana being a bodyguard to Rama. Because Rama doesn't tell Lakshmana, take care of them. Protect us. He tells the Lakshmana, take Sita and go to a cave. Just listen to me. I will deal with all these demons.
1: Right. And then, you know, the battle starts where. Single-handedly, Rama is able to hold out all these people. And before that, you know, Kara and Dushana come. And uh, I think when first Shurpanaka goes and tells Kara and Dushana, she starts praising the beauty of Rama and Lakshmana. And (laughs) they get impatient with her, you know, because every time she starts talking about the beauty of Rama and Lakshmana, Shurpanaka is is getting lost. I mean, here is one who is in pain because her, you know, nose and ears have been chopped off. But she's (laughs) she's getting lost in their beauty when she starts describing. And then when she brings them, again, they look at Rama and they are like for a moment stunned. They are not able to take this.
3: That is why actually Kara and Dushana, though they have come with all the intention, bloodthirsty they are, after seeing Rama standing alone there, they are so enamoured that they send a messenger. Actually. Right.
1: They send a messenger and to him, Rama says actually, you know, that I am the the prince of Ayodhya who has come here. And I have come here to hunt down animals such as your master. So go and tell him if he is ready, let him come. But I have a vow that whoever runs away from the battlefield, I will not harm them. So if any of you have any desire for your life, you can run, you can flee now. But otherwise, be prepared to beat your maker. You know, that's the message which Rama sends back to the messenger.
3: And that is enough to ignite Kara and Dushana and they charge madly. And that is where the... uh, Magnificence and might of Lord Rama is seen as he single-handedly trounces all these fourteen thousand ogres and demons. And one interesting thing over here, you know, it is described even in the Valmiki Ramayana that Rama uses a weapon called the Sammohanastra. And Sammohanastra is supposed to be a weapon that befuddles, confuses the people. And you know, when he releases this weapon, each ogre, each demon begins to see the other as the enemy. So demon 1 looks at demon 2 and sees demon 2 as Rama. Looks at demon 3, demon 3 as Rama. So demon 1 starts attacking demon 2 and demon 3. Now demon 2 and demon 3 in the meanwhile look at demon 1 and they see Rama. So just imagine each one is seeing the other as Rama. And they start killing each other. And they end up dead. In that sense, actually, Rama did not do anything. They were the cause for their own destruction. All these statements are very metaphorical, right, Prem? Because it shows that we are the cause for our own emancipation. We are the cause for our own destruction. Just look at another scene in the Bhagavatam, where the Gopikas, they start seeing Krishna wherever they see. That led to a Ras, the rasa Lila. So beautiful that was. And over here, the same blessing is being conferred on these demons. They are able to see the Lord wherever they look. But what did it result in? They killed each other and died. So you see, it again shows that Lord's love is equal on all. It is how we utilize the love that matters. While the Gopikas utilize that to get the ultimate experience, the demons utilize that experience to kill themselves. And they died. See, this is what happens. When I was reading the Ramkata Rasavaini and reached this point, I was really wonderstruck, and I felt, Swami, how much is your love, Swami? Even on Rakshasas you shower your love. Swami, you see, in, in many of His discourses, Swami even condemns. He says, people who do these kind of things, people who do this, people who do this, they are worse than Rakshasas, Swami stated so vehemently and yet on the same people Swami showers love also and that I got to see when I was reading this part because here are Rakshasas who are attacking Rama and on them also Rama showers this beautiful experience where he makes them see Rama Rama everywhere, there's that bhajan, Rama here, Rama there, Rama Rama everywhere. What we sing as bhajan is an experience that these demons get but because they are demons, because... It's a reflection of their own inner being. It results in them annihilating themselves. And in this manner, it's a very, very vicious, ferocious battle and war because of which so many wild animals get scared. And Swami writes how these animals rush to the same cave where Lakshmana and Sita are sheltering. And with the love of a brother and love of a mother, Lakshmana and Sita tend to these animals and keep them comfortable in the cave till this battle is over, after which Lakshmana and Sita return to Lord Rama.
1: Even as you are saying about uh, the way you look at the Lord and the difference between the Gopikas and the uh, demons here. You know, it seems that, you know, once when Swami was talking to these group of youngsters who formed the Hyderabad Youth. Swami had once told them, you know, it happens with most of us. I think even as students, it happened with us. Swami would say, I'll come to the hostel tomorrow and the tomorrow will not come the tomorrow. right? Mm. You know? <laughs> or Swami would say, I'll speak to you this evening and it, it wouldn't happen. And for some reason, which Swami alone knows it would happen and we all would get disappointed. Sometimes we would, you know, say that Swami always keeps saying things like this. He never does what he says and things like that. So apparently something like that had happened. Swami had told this group that he would speak to them on one particular day. It did not happen. A couple of days later, Swami called them and uh, needless to say that those two days in between, they would have spoken loose words about Swami, you know, wherever they were staying. But they were very happy that Swami had called them for an interview. And in the interview, Swami told them, you know, very, very seriously, Swami said, I want a word from all of you. Try your best not to, you know, have any negative thoughts towards Swami try your best not to speak angrily against Swami Swami said it's not that it is going to affect me it is going to harm you so I'm pleading with you don't ever do that Mm. you know it's really this because it's almost like whatever you wish for will come to you you know I'm a wish fulfilling tree if you come to me asking for the right things you will get it eventually but if you ask for the wrong things I cannot help it but it will come to you because you've asked for it it's almost like that and that's really a a beautiful thing and uh, as the story goes after these demons are vanquished, Shurpanaka runs away. She is not killed. And I think it's for a good reason. She runs away. But then Lakshmana and Sita come and Rama very graphically, even you know, Swami himself says that with so much delight, Rama relates the entire battle has it occurred to Lakshmana.
3: And you know, as he narrates the details of the battle, one thought that arose in me, Prem, was this. Forget all these battle, Rakshasa and all that. You even uh, hinted about this in the beginning. As to, didn't Sita feel empathy towards Shurpanaka? Because all surrender, Shurpanaka is also a woman. And yeah, she's a Rakshasi in the sense of her feelings within. But as we know, physically, she looks as womanly as any other woman. And Sita being the mother, an epitome of compassion, I'm sure that she would have felt some kind of compassion even for the Rakshasas, you know. When she could feel sympathy for the animals that get hit. Uh, Don't you think that her heart would have melted seeing 14,000 corpses lying around the Panchavati ashram? I'm sure she must have felt that compassion, motherly compassion and even if she didn't feel it for the Rakshasas, she would have felt some kind of empathy at least towards Shurpanaka, right?
1: Definitely, I don't know whether it was uh, in this context but as we said, 13 years have passed and in these 13 years actually, Rama has gone about vanquishing a lot of demons who have been troubling the sages in those areas and all that and it's been from one forest to the other, like you know, Dandakaranya and before that, wherever we've heard the other episodes also.
3: Actually, this Dandakaranya is so huge so they have moved from different parts of Dandakaranya, they have right. moved from the eastern end of Dandakaranya to the western end.
1: Right. And, uh, that is when Swami actually mentions this in that same Samukos series, but this was I think the day before, 23rd of May, where mm. Swami says that Sita has this doubt and she goes and puts it forth in front of Rama, uh-huh, saying okay. that you know, is this acceptable? You killing all these, uh, beings, is it acceptable? I mean, you could say that they are evil, they are bad, but who are we to punish them? You know, in a sense, but the way she puts it is very beautiful. And in this clip, so many important lessons Swami drives. I think it would be very useful to go through that. We'll listen to the way Swami described
4: that scene. <laughs> All the three reached the Panchavati, built a beautiful hut and spent time there. Sita Chala bada padtu vachin. Sita was feeling very sad. One day, he went to Parnasalala. The three days later, he went to Laxmananda. Sita Ramalala samipinchi. Natha. The three days later, he went to Laxmananda. When Laxmananda went there to collect all the tubers and the leaves, Sita pleaded with Rama, tell there are three bad qualities. Mother did he? One uttering lies. Observing the wife of someone else. Resorting to violence. For a bad person, these are three bad qualities of the property. These are the bad qualities that step in the age of youth. When once these three qualities are there, there will be no human quality. You have very good qualities too in you. Falsehood. You'll never utter a lie. Never before. Not now. Nor in future. You are the form of truth. I have full faith in that. And Rama said to gain a recognition from wife is a good testimonial for pati the husband. Lakani, kirincha lakani kirincha lakani. Is the wife who should certify that the husband is good? Pati then the husband will have value. Sita, neemu, aneena, so Rama said, Sita, you accepted that I speak truth. I am happy about it. Second, you don't have that bad quality of staring at wives of others. It's a bad quality to stare at women. You never looked at them. Janaka says, she's my daughter, Sita. Rama, you're looking. You are looking in a different direction, Rama. Here Apuru is my sister, Even then you didn't look at her. What's the reason? Kuda nu, kuda du, pedda promise. You have taken a promise that you It's a very good, great quality. Plante. You have got this great quality not look at any woman until you are married. That is Dharma. There is direct evidence with regard to these two principles that you tell me to follow dharma. Third, violence. This I don't accept. You are... Wearing the attire of a renunciant, spending the time in the forest, you carry all the weapons, but you kill animals. When <laughs> don't you are in Ayocha, you need all the weapons. In the attire of renunciant, you should never make use of weapons. He Not only making use of them. What harm the animals have done to you. They are not doing any harm. They don't your It is a big mistake to harm them. Sita never said like that at any time before. the there, the lion of man should have two qualities you have, but the third quality is not missing in you. You are an ideal man. You should not resort to violence. Rama smilingly said, Sita, what you said is true. Demons have... I've been putting to suffering all the sages and saints. I <inaudible> as well. never asked, they themselves pleaded with me for my help. Hey Rama, They all prayed to me, wanting my help. So that they can carry on with their yagas. I made a promise to them. I am ready to give up. I am ready to give up Sita. I am ready to give up Lakshmana. But I will never Tha-tum-o, go to the Either sin or a man. Yagas are sacred. It's my responsibility to take care of all the sages and saints and to protect the yajnas and yagas. So I made a promise. I'll not go back the promise given. Sita, you forget this. Violence is a must. Not for my sake. It's only for the welfare of the sages who have undertaken penance. Not only this yegni-yagas will ensure the welfare of the world. It's only for the welfare and the progress of the world I must do this violence. Sita caught hold of his feet and I just expressed... Mantriya Mandodari. went on giving good teaching. Ah, lo, taal, manasara, chetane, chetane, because he accepted what all Sita said good, he didn't so aspect. all chaste women have got this responsibility, so women, have got this responsibility d- women have got right to correct their husbands when they are all under the wrong path because they are half-body. Not only this, The woman is called illalu that carries the burden of the house.
1: That was a clip, you know, where Sita expresses her apprehension about Rama going about vanquishing some of these Rakshasas and, you know, what authority he had. And and very beautifully, Swami says that, you know, there are three ways in which evil enters a person. That one is through the form of untruth, through the form of lust, having desired for another man's wife. And the third one is violence. And Swami also emphasizes that all these three qualities actually step in in the time of youth. And... Clearly, that is the age where Rama and Lakshmana are. And Sita says that, you know, the first two you definitely don't indulge in. But the third one, violence, you seem to be, you know, doing that day in and day out. You seem to be killing. So when Rama says that I've taken the role of the protector of all these people who are doing yajnas and yagas. And so it is not possible for me to refrain from violence. And this violence is justified because I'm doing it for protecting the good people from evil. That is one thing. But the other important point that Swami mentions is, how it was justifiable that Sita came up and asked Rama these questions. Swami says, it is the duty of a woman to go and question her husband when even she feels that what he is doing is wrong. And Swami goes on to say that this is what even Mandodari did. Mm-hmm. And to a great extent, Ravana did not you know, take the courage to do anything wrong against Sita because of the questioning that Mandodari subjected him to.
3: And one more point that Swami makes there is that for Loka Samasta, for the welfare of the whole world, This is something that I have to take up. This is what Rama tells Sita and uh, we see this happening many times in the Ramayana where for the sake of a larger good, Rama seems to sacrifice the individual good and even when it came to his own self, he was no exception to that. We often see people, you know, doing this saying that it's for world good where it involves harm or disadvantage to a small group of people. But if it happens to have them in that small group of people getting disadvantaged, they may not have the courage to take the step. That is where Rama differs from all the others who then surely stand out as hypocrites because they have different rule when it comes to themselves, a different rule when it comes to others. There was this little experiment, I think we narrated it in some other satsang in some context maybe, or maybe we have not narrated it. About a kind of psychological experiment that was done. You know, it is said that there is a railway track which diverges into two. There are four people working on the railway track on one side. That is the track on which the train is going to go. They're not working on the track, they are there people on the track and those four people are going to die if the train goes there. Now on the other track there is only one person. So now you are at that point holding the lever where if you change the lever the train will take the track on which there is only one person. So thus you will be able to save four people and this one person will die. What do you do? What do you do? I mean it appears as if it is for the betterment of a larger good. So you turn the train to the track where there is one person dying and in the experiment also this is what happened. where Almost everybody, why almost everybody, 100% of the respondents said that they would direct it onto the track where there is only one person. A few people just said that we don't know, we are confused. But there was not a single person who just said that you know I will just leave the train to go on the track and let the four people die. Now they tweaked this experiment, they said what if that one person working on the track was your father, was your brother, was your uncle or your aunt, somebody, your aunt, something. This changes the whole thing now suddenly. People say that, hey, oh, if it's my father, you know, I would love to save my father. I'll Come on, you know, you don't tell me that I'm going to kill my own father. It changes all the whole thing. It's not as if everybody changed over to killing four people to save one. But a large number of people were now in doubt, uh, in confusion, or they were ready to kill four for the sake of one. What changed? See, the minute your personal agenda comes in, it changes your decision making. That did not happen with Rama. In fact, actually, now that I have mentioned and since our time for the satsang is anyway getting over, I will just tell a little more, the next step of the same experiment, <laughs> a different uh, variation was given, you know, because this just shows how we change our morality. In this version of the experiment, what happens is, uh, now one version was where they said that that single person is your father or uncle. Now in the second version, they say, there are no two tracks. There is only one track. And there are four people there. You are standing on a bridge and in front of you is one very hefty person. If you push that person down onto the track below, The train is going to hit him and kill him off. But because of that impact, it is going to slow down and then it will stop. So those four people can be saved. Will you push that person? Now, nobody was ready to do that. They said, how can you expect me to push a person onto the track? Can you believe this Prem? People are ready to divert the train onto a track and kill one person. (laughs) But instead of pulling a lever, you have to push a person. The end result is the same. One person is dying to save four people. But somehow, people are ready to pull the lever. But people are not ready to push a person. Because somehow pushing a person makes your hands dirty. Makes you feel more guilty. I don't know what it is. But this is very interesting. And uh, it has got many ramifications and many... It goes into great detail. But it just shows how when we get personally involved, we change morality, we change rules to suit us. But when we are not involved, it is different. And I brought up this just to point out that when it comes to Rama's case, it is not like that. Irrespective of what it has been, He even for the sake of Loka Kalyanam, he subjected himself to trouble. Why else would he banish himself into the forest? Later on we will see that he banishes Sita to the forest. So it was not as if he made one rule for others, one rule for himself. That is why it is said Ramaha, Vigravahan, Dharmaha. You know, some people get into the thing of criticizing, saying how could Rama send away his wife, Rama is bad. I think at that point in time, at least those of us who have had the privilege and pleasure of knowing Swami, let us remember what Swami said. Don't criticize Swami. It holds good same for Rama and Krishna. Let us not criticize Rama or Krishna because they are avatars. If we are criticizing them, it's only because of our own ignorance and our own mean understanding or lack of understanding. It's not a fault in what they did. You know, there also when Swami says that it is good that a wife should ask, she's a dharma patni, maybe we too with that same kind of humility, see what you pointed out, I loved it. You said the way Sita asked is so nice. Sita didn't come and say, hey Rama, what are you doing? You are killing people. She said that you are, you know, you do this, you do this. That shows that she genuinely admires her husband and this is a confusion, a doubt that is there. It is with that attitude we can question the Lord. It's a genuine doubt. It should not be an attitude of arrogance. It should not be an attitude of I know better than you or I am greater than you.
1: Or I am finding fault in you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. And that's really is the beautiful point And I, I think we have literally come back to the same point we started with because it again comes back to looking at, at these characters of, You know, be it Rama, Krishna or, uh, dear Swami with the faith, accepting wholeheartedly that there must be something, you know, something more subtler and something more perfectly good about what they did. Maybe it is not reachable with my reason because even those conditions which you gave, those people who are selfish, I think making the decision is very simple for them, right? You know, if you say that it's my father over there, I think the choice is very direct for them. Definitely it's going to be their father. Somebody who is very, very dharmic, has never strayed from the path of righteousness, I think even for them, the decision will be very, very straightforward. We may or may not be able to understand the decision. We may question that decision. But as Swami would say that if you always stick to the path of dharma, you will not have a dilemma. You will, with that practice of dharma, come straight to the decision without any confusion. When we look at it, we may question it. I think the always the problem is for those people in the middle who are sometimes good, sometimes bad, who are dwindling between this and that. And the Confusion is always there. I think similarly, if we fix this thing that whatever Rama did, whatever Krishna did, whatever Swami did was the ultimately right thing to do, I think we can at least try to figure out what way it was right and draw the lesson and apply it in our life. I think that's the best way we can approach the entire Ramayana itself.
3: Exactly, Prem. Once the ogres, 14,000 of them have been vanquished by Rama. The sages come to Rama. The saints come because this becomes a holy spot. See, that is one more beautiful thing. When it is done by the Lord, even a scene of massacre becomes a holy spot. So many sages and saints and sadhakas visit. They also actually warn Rama, telling Rama be careful because you know, Shurpanaka is is the sister of Ravana and Ravana is very very brutal and cruel and we have no idea the extent to which he may be ready to go and Rama acknowledges their warning and he comforts them saying, yes, I will be on my guard. And this is exactly what happens. Shurpanaka Goes to Ravana. I think the complaints and the way she ignites Ravana and what happens next, we shall take up in our afternoon satsang next week. So dear listeners, we offer our humble salutations once again to our dear Swami, who is the inspiration, the guide, the whole and sole motive and everything for us, and to Lord Hanuman, who is always present wherever the glory of His Rama is sung. We bring this discussion on the Ramkatha Savahini to a close. We hope that. You enjoyed it as much as we did. We would love to hear from you. You can write to us as always at listener at radiosci.org. Thank you. Jai sai Sairam.
0: Sairam, you just heard an episode of our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on The Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 16th July 2015. Dear listeners, we hope you like this program. As always, send us your feedback to Listener at radiosai.org Thank you and loving Sai Ram from Prashantin Layam.